Good morning, church. How are you feeling? Yeah, I, uh, I can, I can kind of sense that in you, church. Uh, this, has been a, this has been a busy weekend. If, if some of you are like, man, I'm here, Pastor, and I, I'm, I'm a little tired, not on my A game, but, but I'm here, just raise your hand. If you can admit that, say, I'm, I'm here, I'm not on my A game, uh, kind of a little out of sorts. I can, I can already tell. You, you know, as I've been preaching to you guys enough time, and Cash, I'm going to use this message on our website, so make sure, son, I know you're going to do a fabulous job. You've got this. The reason I'm going to, I'm going to use this message, I just feel that the Holy Spirit has been, has been building something to this point. And so third service, you, you are in a position to be blessed, you know, um, as a, as a pastor, I could sense right off the bat that there is a, there's a spiritual fight around this particular topic. And you say, well, what? Uh, the topic is, I love my church. That's the overall um, title of the series, I Love My Church. And, and I want to remind you, loving a church is not loving a building or, or the things in the building, but loving people. The, the people of God are God's church. So when you say, I love my church, you're saying, I love the church family. And we're a family here. We're a family. And so we've been talking about breaking through uh, selfishness and uh, breaking through the flesh with, with, with selflessness or service. S- service and selflessness combat the flesh and, and selfishness. Last week we said that the flesh was that human condition, that, that, that thing that makes us human, but it also makes us selfish and it makes us war against God and war against the spiritual. It's that thing that Paul described this way. He said, there's something in me that has me do opposite of what I want. I want to do good, but this flesh keeps having me do what I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do are the things I keep doing. And the things I want to do are the things I cannot seem to get myself to do. Is because he was describing this, this, this fleshly condition that's in each and every one of us. And, and this is the thing. When you first get saved, that's all you have. You, or when you're not saved, I should say. When you're living in the world, that's what it means to live in the world. You say, well... Wait a minute, Pastor, what is the world? The world is, is the enemy's system of doing business on this planet. That's what it call, it's called. And you say, really? I thought the world was like the planet. Okay, the Bible uses the, uses the word world to, de- to describe three different things. Okay, When God said uh, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he loved... That he, what, gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What world does, what does he mean by world, or what world does he use in there? People, okay? And so, when God created the heavens and the earth, or created the world, and the Bible talks about the creation of the world, and he's talking about the planet. So the Bible uses the word world to describe the people, the planet, but then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the Bible says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. 
For this world and the things in this world are not of the Father and they are passing away. What is he talking about there? He's talking about this system that, that leads us away from the things of God. And so when you were in the world, when you were part of that system, you were dead to Christ. The Bible talks about that. And it was by grace that you were saved. What do we mean grace? It means God offered you a gift. Jesus said, I love you this much. I died for you. All you have to do is, is confess me and surrender your life to me. So when we surrender our lives to Christ, we receive the gift of grace. When the gift of grace comes upon us, we receive the Holy Spirit as a part of that gift of grace, and we are now made alive in Christ, the Bible says. What does it mean to be made alive in Christ? You're no longer dead in your sins. Now you, you are forgiven. You see things differently. Can you remember the day you were, you were made alive in Christ? This is important because non-Christians are not, they don't see the spiritual world the way we do. They don't also understand the spiritual message. How many times have you, have you encountered one of your non-Christian friends that just doesn't get it? And they're open about it. I just don't understand why you make such a big deal about it. I just don't see what you see. I just don't. And, and they can be critical or they can, they can just uh, not, not understand it. And so the Bible talks about that too. That to the non-Christian, the things of the Spirit are foolishness. They may go on. They may even say, that's just stupid. I don't, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. And so that's what it means to be made alive in Christ. But this war is still going on within us. You can be a Christian and be very carnal or fleshly. What does that mean? Very selfish still. That means we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to take control, but we're still allowing that old nature. That's why Paul says, don't let the old nature take control. Don't give that old nature permission to rule over you, right? You, are now, you, are, you now have a new nature. Why am I explaining all of this? Because service, service, the act of serving helps you put to death that old nature. Why? Because it's grounded in Jesus. It's grounded in what Jesus did. Read with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Watch this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Do you know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, you now live with Christ in you. Let the mind of Christ, watch, watch verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the way you do it, he, he tells you right there. Don't be selfish. Don't think of yourself so highly. Think of others first. And you do that by serving. And you know, the, 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 the Lord created his church so that we might have an opportunity to express this mind of Christ. Nothing will test the mind of Christ in you like the church. Oh, it absolutely does. It gives you an opportunity to serve one another, to serve those outside the church, to be the hands and feet in the community where God has put us. And so this is what God has called us to. And so it's interesting because 
I just kind of briefly went through what it is to be a Christian and how it is to, to go from death to life. That's called salvation, doctrine, theology, and Paul covers it in the book of Romans better than anyone else. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are very theological. That means that he goes into a, a, a detail on what it is to be saved, to be justified in Christ, what it is to give yourself to Christ and to be made alive. But then he gets to chapter 12, and then he, he, it's like he's giving you the so what. So now that I've told you what happened and how you received salvation, now I'm going to give you the instruction on how you should live. And you can see it there when he says, he says with a lot of urgency, he says, I beseech you. What does beseech mean? It means urge, implore, I beg you, I plead with you with all my might. I beseech you, therefore. The therefore is in light of all that I explained about salvation. It'll make sense. Watch. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What does he mean by the mercies of God? He just finished explaining the first 11 chapters. Watch this. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So he's just been explaining how we deserved what? Hell. We deserved death. We deserved to be separated from God. But you might be thinking, I'm not that bad. And that's why Jesus said he came to show us you're not that good. And he, and he wanted to show us that it's, it's, it's human nature to try to excuse who we are. And even today, it's become very popular to kind of build up the human condition, to think in terms of, you're not that bad, we're essentially good, you've got a lot of good in you, you just got to work with it, you just got to reach a higher level of enlightenment, this, this, and that. That's all new age stuff. But can I tell you what the, what the Bible says? The Bible says in your fallen condition, this is Romans kind of stuff here. In your fallen condition, there is no good thing in you. That your heart and the human condition above all things is deceitful. And so Paul is saying that that needs to be redeemed, not part of it, all of it. So you, you might be thinking, but, but I didn't think I was that bad. That's the same thing people have been thinking forever with the help of the enemy and his worldly system. And even the religious leaders in Jesus' time used to check the boxes and say, they would take the Ten Commandments and go, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Come on, how many of us love to check boxes because it makes us feel good? Isn't that true? I love checking boxes because I feel like, man, I've accomplished all this. And so they did the same thing and they checked boxes and Jesus comes and says, I know you've heard it said, but I tell you, this is what he's saying. For generations, you've been teaching it this way. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter seven, end of the chapter, it says they marveled because he was one that spoke with authority. He's saying, I come with the authority of God and I'm speaking to you uh, something you have not heard. I'm giving you the real revelation of how perfect God is. 
You think you can say, I have never committed adultery? He says, I tell you, if you look at a woman and you lust in your heart, you look at a man, you lust in your heart, you've just committed adultery with her. Watch this. You say you've never murdered. You've checked the box. I've never murdered. But if you've ever cursed someone or gossiped about your friend ladies, you've just murdered them. If you've ever broken your word, that means said something you weren't able to fulfill. You're a liar. Let your yes be yes and your, uh-oh. See, if you want to, Jesus was saying, compare yourself to God. That's the standard. You know how we know this? Because he finishes that whole idea with this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, so therefore, if you want to see God, if you want to go to heaven, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. That's all you got to do. And then he drops the mic. I love it. Because it makes people go, you mean I haven't checked that box? I haven't. Oh, you've checked it in the, in the wrong way. And he says, but if, but if you want to know how to be saved, that's why I've come. So that you might have eternal life. So this is the deal. Paul is saying, mercies. What is mercy? Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. So this is how I work. There are two sides of the, of, of the same coin. Grace is God gives you heaven. Mercy is God doesn't give you hell. That's salvation. And Paul is saying, I urge you, brothers, in light of all that I've talked to you about salvation, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. This is your true and proper worship. This is how you relate to him. This is what he wants from you, that you live for him. You know, it kind of reminds me of when Pastor Melissa and I were in love, and we're still in love, but I mean, we were, I shouldn't have said that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> we, I'm, I am so in love with you, baby. I love you. No, but this is, this reminds me of when we were young. And we were figuring out what love was all about. And I knew I loved her, and I, I know she loved me, because she showed it. And there was a particular song that just, I think, hit everybody. It was it maybe not been our song, but it was a song that very much evoked a lot of emotion. And it was Tim McGraw's big breakout hit. How many of you know what, what his breakout hit was? You remember back 91, maybe 92, somewhere in there? It, it, it went something like this. Um, and Johnny's daddy was taking him fishing. Listen to the words. He was eight years old. So Johnny's eight years old, taking him fishing. Dad. A little girl came through the front gate holding a fishing pole. His dad looked down and smiled. We can't leave her behind Son, I know you don't want her to go But someday you'll change your mind And Johnny said Take Jimmy Johnson Take Tommy Thompson Take my best friend, Bo Take anybody that you want As long as she don't Boy in the world, Daddy 
Okay, daddy said his, daddy said his, his thoughts would change 10 years later. Same old boy, same sweet girl, 10 years down the road. He held her tight and kissed her lips in front of the picture show. Stranger came and pulled a gun, grabbed her by the arm, said if you do what I tell you to, there won't be any harm, and Johnny said, take my money, take my wallet, take my credit card. That my grandpa gave me Here's a key to my car Mister, give it a word But please Don't take the girl Brother Arnold, th- thank you. I love that part because Melissa and I could relate to that. When, when we first met each other, I was nine, she was six, and we didn't have any attraction in that way, and there were times when we avoided, or I avoided her because, well, she was a girl, and I wasn't into girls at that time, but how things changed. And I can remember the day I just was captivated by her, and I told my brothers, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to study hard. I'm going to go to UT. I'm going to date Melissa, and I'm going to marry her, and God improved the plan. He sent me to Baylor, but everything else happened like that. You know, I, I'll tell you that, that I, used to, I used to listen to that song and I, I told the Lord, I go, Lord, you know what? If that ever happened, I would die for Melissa. I would fight to the death. I would jump in front of that bullet. I would take the blow. And, and you know, sometimes she felt like I might have to do that because I, I, I We'd go to this, uh, this theater off of Riverside, and she thought it was like she was going to get shot. And some of you are from Austin, and second servers were like, Pastor, you're killing my neighborhood. But I thought that was a good neighborhood. I didn't know it was like what Austin's rough neighborhood, because <laughs> my neighborhoods in Houston were rough. So I was taking her there, thinking it was great. She goes, I just feel like I'm going to get shot. And I go, I got you, girl. I got you. Come on, isn't that what guys love? They, they, I would die for the thing I love for. I would die for my country. I would die for my God. And then we still walk around like that. You know, it's like, you know what? I'm getting close to 50, but I still walk like, man, don't step to my, me and my girl. Because I may not be as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. And so, you know, you, you have that idea. And, and, and can I just tell you this? God says, I don't want you to die for her. I want you to live for her. I want you to learn to live and give yourself for her like Christ gave himself for his church. Wow. No, Lord, I'd rather jump in front of her because that that just takes one moment of passion. Instead of every day, God says, I don't want you to die for me. My son took care of that. I want you to live for me now. I want you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. And the word present literally means 
It's a technical term that the priest would come into God's house and he would place the offering or the sacrifice on the altar of God and it wasn't presented until he took his hands off of it. What Paul is saying there, church, when you present yourself as a living sacrifice, you don't say, okay, Lord, here's my life, but. Here's my life, if. Here's my life, if you would. Here's my life, No, you take your hand off of it and you do what every great servant of the Lord has said in his word. You see it over and over and over. Here I am. Here I am. Lord, use me. I don't have any suggestions. I'm not going to tell you how I want to be used. I'm not going to give you all these caveats and and, and, and. I'm just going to put my life on the altar and say, but some of us, come on, can I just be honest? The reason I believe there has been a spiritual opposition to this because the enemy knows that it will set God's people free when we come before him, put ourselves on the altar and say, use us, God, as you see fit. And he knows that it will unleash such a revolution in your life, in your Christian walk. It will resurrect something like never before. You were created to serve him. You were made with a purpose. And the enemy worked so hard to keep us from that. He would rather us be in the state of a worldly mindset where we rub the lamp and we expect that genie to pop out. Lord, I'm coming to you, God. And and Lord, I know how much you love me and I'm the apple of your eye and that everything revolves around me, God. So I'm going to put myself on the altar and then I'm going to give you a little rub, God. And when I rub, I want you to pop out. Not like like, like Will Smith. I, I I don't buy that genie. The real genie, I don't care what they say, is still Robin Williams. And Robin Williams jumps out and he goes, hey, Mr. Aladdin, what is your pleasure, please, right? And you're like, Lord, I just want you to come out and just please me. Can I tell you that? that that's the world's way. Paul is saying, I urge you to get a glimpse of what God did for you. And once you get a glimpse of what God did for you, then come, lay yourself on the altar and say, here I am, Lord, use me how you see fit. It's my pleasure to live for you, God. And when we live that way, oh man, God brings healing. God brings fulfillment. Marriages are restored. Love is sparked in the home. Children walk in the righteous path. Things begin to happen because God rules and reigns in our lives. And when God rules and reigns in our lives, he'll rule and reign in our house. And when God rules and reigns in our house, he'll rule and reign in our church. And when God rules and reigns in our church, he'll rule and reign in our community. And when God rules and reigns in our lives, in our family, in our church, in our community, he'll begin to rule and reign in our town. And then the town that he rules and reigns in will will affect the county and on and on and on. Because that's what God has designed, you say, well, pastor, why don't more people serve? Well, that's the question that I'm asking today in my, in my message. Why people don't serve? That's the title of my message. It's not real fancy. It's just why people don't serve. And I really want to address this because I think it's the, 
It's why God's church isn't doing miraculous things. And so just stay with me on this for a second. Why don't people serve? Number one, I think they don't, they don't understand God's economy. And so they say, I can't afford to. Can I say you can't afford not to? In this world, in the way the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, you can't afford not to serve the Lord and to have him rule and reign in your home. People say all the time, I just don't have the time. I can't afford to. And it's because they don't understand number two. Number two is they don't understand the blessing. So number one, they don't think they can afford it. They don't understand the economy and they don't understand the way God moves in his economy. They, they don't understand the blessing. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. In 1 Kings chapter 17, you have a story here that details the economy of God and the way God works. And he works by faith. And he works by putting him first. The Bible says in the book of, in the book of Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says what? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means put me first. And I will take care of your problems. I will. This is the, exactly how it says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added to you as well. And so you're going to see this in this story. In the very first um, verse of chapter 17, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab. Now let's just break down that verse. You have Elijah, which is a great prophet of God. He's from Tish, he's the Tishbite from Tishbe of in Gilead. What does that mean? Very simple. He's from the Middle East. Okay? That's what I want you to grab. Elijah's from the Middle East. Okay? And he's talking to Ahab. Who is Ahab? Ahab is the king of Israel. So put in your margin the king of Israel. Now, he's not just any king. He was a king that did a lot of evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, as soon as I tell you who he's married to, it's all going to make sense to you. Ahab is married to Jezebel. And so Jezebel's his wife, and both of them lead Israel in doing evil. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they, they make up, they, they, they explore new ways of doing evil. You got to be pretty bad to come up with new ways but this is what the prophet of the Lord says. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So he tells, he tells the king of God, we're drying up the heavens and there will be no more rain for a few years. Now, how many is a few? At least three. You have a couple is two, few is three or more. And so you have... You have the prophet passing this judgment upon Israel. Now, it's hard for us to understand what it would be like with no rain for three years because we're so used to God blessing our land. 
and he sends rain. And every time we turn on the faucet, water comes out. But where does that water come from? Oh, it comes from aqua water. It comes from the municipality. It comes from other, some other co-op. Can I tell you? No, it comes from the heavens above and God sends it down to water this earth. Well, no, we dug a well. And how do you think it got down in the earth? Wells go dry when there's no rain. And this is what begins to happen. And God is trying to get the people's attention. So in verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up. The brook where they got the water dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. To who? To Elijah. And he said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called out again and said, bring me please a piece of bread. Not that difficult, is it? Little water, little bread. Anyone would feel inconvenienced at this point? No, but something, something remarkable is taking place here. Read verse 12 with me. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home. And to make a fire so that I may make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. She is literally preparing her last meal because the, the, the drought that the prophet pronounced as a judgment over Israel has taken its toll and she's about to die. They have no more food, no more water, no more oil. It's done. Can I tell you, in the world's economy, this widow might say something like, how inconsiderate. This prophet of God comes in and starts asking when I don't have that much. Some people feel that way about the hand of God. And can I tell you, the prophet of God, the hand of God is the church of God. Because the church is used in the community the way God used this prophet, Elijah, in this widow's life. And some people think of the church like, how inconsiderate that they're asking of me. Don't you know I don't have? Don't you know I'm barely making it? Don't you know? Can I tell you something? The reason the enemy doesn't want you to get this because you don't know. I don't know. When I'm thinking that way, that God's economy is way different. That God's trying to bless you if you let him. God showed up and sent the prophet ahead of time because he's about to save your life. And yet, she could have thought, how inconsiderate, or how about number two, how about, how inconvenient. I, I don't have time for this. This is my last meal, and, and this is not convenient. It's not a good time, and God is saying it's the perfect time. Can I share this with us, guys, that God typically moves when you are stretched to the max because God is saying, listen, there's a reason you're stretched to the max, and your way is not working. Let me get involved. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and 
my righteousness and I'll take care of it. I'll take your life. I'll reorganize and give it back to you better than you gave it to me. That's what God is saying here. But, 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 but no, this is not convenient. It, it, God's economy is not about convenience. God's economy is not about what the world says. I know the world would say to you what? Take care of yourself, me, myself, and I. This is a dog-eat-dog world. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody else is. That's the world's way of thinking. Listen to God's way of thinking. So she, he said this to her. In verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Now, I want you to highlight the word bring. He didn't say give it to me. He said bring it to me. It's the same word God uses when he talks about the tithe or our resources. He doesn't say give me a tithe. You don't give it to him. You bring it to him because it's already his. The prophet is saying, what you have belongs to God. Can I tell you that? What you have belongs to God. Can I tell you? What you have belongs to God. Amen. I know that's hard for us to receive it. But this is what the Old Testament saints knew. This is what the New Testament saints knew. This is what our grandparents knew. But we've gotten so Americanized, we think this is ours. Every blessing comes from the hand of God, and you can take none of it with you. You're just borrowing it while you're here on earth. Someone said, oh, pastor, I heard of a rich, greedy old man that tried to take it with him, and his children were getting all upset, and the mom said, no, we'll bury it with him. I said, mom, you can't do that. We've suffered all our lives. At least we can have is the inheritance. He said, no, no, don't argue with your dad. We'll bury it with him. Dad finally passed away, wanted it buried with him. Mom wrote a big fat check and put it in the casket, said, I hope you can cash it where you're going. <laughs> Truth is, you can't take it with you. It all belongs to God. So the prophet said, bring it to me and then make something for yourself. Now watch what God says. It's the same advice you hear Paul giving in Philippians chapter 2. It says, make some for me, then make some for you. Put somebody else first. The prophet is teaching her. Trust. Walk by faith. Isn't this what Paul is saying in, in Philippians chapter 2? Let nothing be done from selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only for your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let this mind that was in Christ be also in you. Would Christ say, would, would what we're seeing here in the Old Testament is be Christ. Think about if Christ had lived the way we live. He'd have gotten to earth and said, yeah, I don't think I, 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 don't think I like this place too much, God. I, I, I'm not going to die after all. I'm changing my mind. I don't like the way they treat me. What's in it for me? You know, I, I'm going to look around and see what's in it for me and how I can be blessed. But God said, Son of Man came to give himself away, to put others first. That's our calling. So, so, so watch the amazing blessing. Number one, when you think you can't afford it, you're thinking wrong. Number two, sometimes you don't realize how much God truly wants to bless you. Do you know this isn't even the half of the blessing that God gave her? Read, read it with me. 
just so you'll be sure. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord said. The God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her entire family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord that God had spoken through Elijah. Can I tell you, the word of the Lord has some promises for you too. And it says, if you bank on it, you can, you can be sure it will supply your every need. Your every need. Your every need. So you might be tempted to say, well, pastor, I just, can I tell you, this wasn't even the half of the blessing. You want to know what happens just the very next verse in verse 17? Listen to what Elijah really does for her. Her son gets sick and he keeps getting worse until he stops breathing. This is, this is sometime later. And Elijah raises her son from the dead. Can I tell you, when you trust God, he will begin to bring things to life in your life you didn't think were possible. He'll resurrect dreams and hopes and faith, excitement, passion for his name. He will begin to resurrect and give life to your marriage, to your children's marriage, to things that you weren't able to affect in the natural. He can do in the supernatural. But you've got to give him an opportunity and understand. Don't say you can't afford it. You can't afford not to. And there is a blessing beyond what you can compare. Number three, I think sometimes we underestimate our value. You are tremendously important to God. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I think the reason I don't get involved is I just don't have much to offer. I'm just a regular I'm just a regular person. Then I can show you verse after verse how God used humble, regular people to do something very, very extraordinary. Just, I just, I'm just an ordinary person. Well, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary works. But you're not just ordinary. The Bible says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? whom you received from God the day that he saved you, the Bible says. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. You want to know how much he paid for you? He paid with the, with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, for you. And the Bible says, before he died, he already knew you, and he was determined to do it for you because he loves you. Because he loves you. And the enemy would love for you to doubt that. Because when you doubt that, then you begin to think that it's not that important. No, you are extremely important. You are perfectly and wonderfully made, the Bible says. He knew you while you were in your mother's womb. Before the beginning of time, he already set up great works for you to do. Great works for you to do. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, Each of you should not use... Uh, uh, excuse me, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
Remember what I was talking about when we were saved, we received grace? That awesome gift you are a steward of while you're here on earth. And so the Bible says, use that gift to serve others. And when you serve others, God begins to bless you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in, to the Ephesian church. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, handiwork. We are God's masterpieces. I'm using different versions, say different words. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before the beginning of time, he already had the gifts and the works that you were going to that you were going to receive, ready for you to receive them. All you have to do is have the faith and stop telling yourself you're not important. You are extremely important. And God needs you. This church needs you. Do you realize you're not an accident? And this church isn't an accident. As a matter of fact, like the prophet was there at the widow's, at the widow's town, at the gate, ready to meet her. Why? Because God, God sent him ahead of time so that he would provide a way of salvation. Do you know that this church is here to provide a way of salvation for those that need salvation and you're a part of it? This church is not an accident. It's absolutely put here by the hand of God. Can I tell you how God worked in my life? I never, I never had a desire to be a pastor. As a matter of fact, I told the Lord, and I'm standing on this side because this is where I was. I was on this side of the cross, so to speak. You know, I was living for myself. Even though I was a Christian, I was still living a very selfish life. And I said to myself, Lord, uh, I'll do anything for you. And I would tell the Lord, I'll do anything for you except what? Preach. I will never be a preacher because I saw my dad and how hard it was for him. And I saw my grandfather. And I'll do anything but be a preacher. So I went to Baylor University on a scholarship. And I had, I, I spent time in the business school. I got a, a, um, a degree in finance and, and a second major in international business with a minor in economics. I don't say that to impress you. There's nothing impressive about that. I just want to impress upon you how determined I was not to have anything to do with preaching. Okay, I'm, I'm over on this side, God, and my dream, Lord, because I read a verse that said, delight yourself in the Lord. So, Lord, I'm going to delight myself in you. And then what happens? What, what, what does it say? Anyone... Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the what? Can I tell you, in the world's economy, this is how you interpret that. I do something for you, Lord, and then you give me what I want. Can I tell you how God changed my heart? I began to pray, and the more I prayed, and the more I prayed, the more I got close to the cross, and the closer I got to the cross, my prayers began to change. And God said, you want to know the true meaning of that verse? The true meaning is not pray and I'll give you your desires, what you desire. No, I will give you what you should desire. I will put the desires in your heart that are my desires. Do you see the, the, the slight change? So no longer am I saying, Lord, I want to be rich. I want to have a beautiful wife. I want to have the 2.5 kids in the SUV in the, in, the, in the drive. I want the American dream. I started saying, Lord, I want what you want. And the more I said, well, I want what you want, he began to put his desires. Before long, we were praying, Lord, please let me preach the gospel. Whoa, whoa. That's exactly why I don't pray those kind of prayers, Pastor. 
The last thing I want is God monkeying with my life. You start praying, Lord, here I am. Next thing you know, you end up in Africa. You know, as a missionary or worse in the, in the, in the Amazon or somewhere. No. Can I tell you, you have one life to live for your king. Quit worrying about what he's going to do and just say, here I am, God. Put some cool desires in my heart for you. Give me a passion for your name. Give me a, give me a holy ambition for your house. Give me a passion for your name. Give me something, an obsession for the lost. Lord, I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. I want to see you move on this earth like you moved in the days of old in the book of Acts. God, I believe you still want to do it and you're going to do it again. Don't you dare leave me out. You're going to move with somebody, Lord. I want to be part of that move. So, this is where we finish. Some people think they can't afford it. They don't realize the blessing. They underestimate their value. And some of they've just been hurt. Can I tell you that church is messy? Church is messy, but he's using the church to create something in us, to fashion us. The Proverbs put it this way, iron sharpens iron like one brother, another brother. Do you know the process of sharpening steel with steel is not neat and comfortable? We use that verse like it's a really cool thing. That's a painful thing. The reason it's painful is because Paul gives us the clue in Philippians 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who began the good work is faithful to complete it until the day Christ Jesus returns. Meaning, it's a process. And the process of becoming more like Jesus, sometimes it, it, can, it can get a little messy because ministry is messy. And if anyone knows that, a pastor knows that. I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about you. Maybe you're here today, and this is where we, 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 we begin to finish. Notice I said begin to finish. But I know that people get hurt doing ministry in church. And the reason people get hurt doing ministry in church is because we're all imperfect. And we're still struggling with that flesh that Paul talks about. If I could only be rid of this flesh. And the selfishness creeps back in. And, and selfishness is what hurts people. You know that? Jesus never hurt anyone. Everything he did was in perfect love. He was selfless. But we're not Jesus. And as long as we're learning how to be Jesus, it's that those little areas that we rub up against each other and we make each other better. But it, but it's hurt. it hurts. Let me show you how selfishness hurts. Let's say you say, well, I'm just going to worry about myself. If enough people have that attitude, the good ones that say, I, I'm going to be selfless, they're the ones that get overworked in the church. And then they go to another church and become part of the problem. Where they sit back and say, I'm just going to receive because I've been hurt before. I got piled on. They used me. They, they just put everything on me. I got overworked and I got burned but where did the burnout come from? The burnout came from enough brothers saying, I don't want to do anything. 
and that poor brother that was feeling great in the Lord said, I'll do it. And next thing you know, it was too much for them to handle. Or how about this one? How about the person who's sitting back that's been hurt is now responding in hurt? So this other brother gets that response and says, man, that was rude. That was mean. That was hateful. That was vindictive. Or that was... But where did that come from? It came from a hurting heart. Because hurting people hurt people. And this is what's spreading through the churches. And people jump from church to church. And you know what we want more than anything? We want to see God come alive. And God is saying, serve me, but let go of the hurt. Let go of the hurt. Listen, can I tell you, if you hang out here long enough, I'll hurt you too. Because leaders and pastors are humans like everybody else. I struggle with ego. I struggle with selfishness. I struggle with, with my own insecurities. And sometimes I may read some of your actions and feel insecure, and then I react in a certain way, and the next thing you know, we get off, and it's hard to get back on. But can I just plead with you? Me and my family, we're... We're going before the Lord and saying, God, give us a new heart. Give us a clean heart. Just wash away all the hurt so we may serve you the way you saved us to serve you. With all our heart, loving and caring and passionately giving ourselves away and trusting that your economy is better than the world's. Trusting. If that's you here today, I want to I invite you to step across the line. I don't know where you're at, but I do know this. When you begin to serve the Lord, even in small ways, God will begin to multiply himself in your life. He'll begin to reveal himself to you in ways you needed to see. He'll begin to fill your cup. And some of us are empty right now. And you're wondering why you can't get filled. Do you realize you get way more filled from service than you do a message? That's the truth. Some of us need to have our marriage brought back to life. Some of us are so burned out, we don't even know, even the thought of service makes us physically sick. You need to touch the hand of God again. And just say, Lord, I know that your economy works. But somewhere along the line, I, maybe I got off. Can I tell you the darkest time in my ministry is when I had selfish ambition. I'm not proud to admit this, but when I wanted to leave this church because certain people had spoken something into me, and I'm not blaming it on them, but, but, but the enemy gets his message to you one way or another, and they had come up and said, man, pastor, why are you here? You should be in a huge church. You should be in a big market. You should be in a big city where you could really grow. And I started thinking about that, and I started believing that nonsense. I just wasn't satisfied. I kept whining to the Lord and getting upset. And everything I did was work. You know why it was work? Because it was for me. 
And ministry was never so heavy than during that time. And I wanted something. I didn't even know what I wanted. I wanted to be filled, but I was trying to fill it in my own strength. Does that make sense? And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've desired something from God and you keep putting yourself on the altar, but you don't take your hands off of it. You keep giving him all these caveats and say, do this for me and do that. And God, if you would only do this, then I would be happy. Maybe we need to get to that place where that widow was saying, I'm just about to die. (laughs) Sir, you want the last cake? I'll give you the last cake. And God says, watch what I can do when you present yourself to me. So prayer partners, come up. What's stirring in your heart? Come pray about it. You want to pray for your marriage? Pray for your marriage. You want to pray for your children? Pray for your children. You want to pray for health? Pray for health. Maybe that's the way to get get going on this this attitude of service. You say, Lord, put somebody else on my heart. Who do I need to pray for today? Worship team is going to sing, and these guys have prepared their heart all week long to pray for you. To pray with you, to believe with you, to break through. Don't let anything hold you back. Search your heart right now. Say, Holy Spirit, lead me to present something to you. I want to present something to you and lay it on that altar and start a new day of giving myself away, Lord. Free of hurt. Free of ambition and selfishness and holding back, God. God, I know you have something good for me. You saved me at a high price. Wouldn't you come? Let's pray right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand and let's just sing. And As the Lord leads you to come and pray, come and pray with someone.